Welcome to Geared for Growth. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, Managing Director of MCG Quantity Surveyors. And today we're talking about the game of finance. I think any property investor that's wanting to get into that multiple portfolio stage of five, six, 10, 20, 100 properties, it comes down to a game of finance. So today we welcome back Nick Kutsos of Bestlend, telling us how to select a mortgage broker, what the importance of experience and volume and access to lenders and he gives us some key questions to ask your broker before engaging them because getting the right broker is going to make a huge difference to your end portfolio. It's an awesome interview with Nick and I think anyone that's wanting to build a big portfolio should be listening to an interview like this. I hope you enjoy. Here's Nick. Nick Kutsos, thanks for joining me back on Geared for Growth. Thanks for having me, Mike. Hope you've been well and looking forward to having a chat. It's going to be a great chat. We're going to take the gloves off and we're going to talk about the mortgage broking industry. So you are a mortgage broker to the stars and we're going to talk about how to choose the right mortgage broker. Now that might be sort of a simple question. It's like, well, who's going to come to your house at 8pm or who's the local real estate agent using or who do I know that's a mortgage broker? But I would posit that it's much more an important decision than just who falls in your lap. Where do you land on that? Oh, definitely. The first thing, you know, is be careful if someone's referring a broker, you know, to you. So that would be my first thing. So if a real estate agent or accountant is referring a broker to you, first question I'd ask them is, are you receiving, you know, any sort of or, or, or sort of payment? Yep. Kickbacks. You know. Yeah, any kickbacks, anything, and you you want it documented and disclosed. And then I would ask him, well, why are you referring this person? Yeah, give me three reasons why you're referring that person to me. Yeah, and if one of them's kickback and two of them is, I can't think of anything else. Then that's a red flag, <laughs> right? Is that a big part of the industry? The 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 kickbacks from from brokers because of course they want leads and they want business, and if they can find us a, a reliable source of people to send them through, then that has a value to them, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yes, it is. It definitely is. Um, you'll see some of the top broker firms don't don't have that model at all. The top broker firms are really just, you know, it's from their existing clients who so are just referring all friends and family. Yeah. Um, you know, they get to a point where they're that large and they've been around for that long. It's just that word word of mouth game. Yeah. But but yeah, but but in, in all fairness, there's nothing wrong with I guess yeah, we can call it kickbacks, but it's it's yeah. Well, call it kickbacks but i guess there's nothing wrong with it as long as the broker's experienced the the per, you know the accountant or real estate is you know is doing it for for good reasons and trust that person and knows that broker you know what i mean yes. like you don't you don't want an accountant referring just to this broker because he's getting 50 percent of the broker's commissions and the broker's doing a horrible job yeah but he doesn't care yeah, I suppose there's there's nothing to say that kickbacks are, um, uh, you know, an obviously bad thing. It's just when they're not disclosed or there's that relationship that's kind of, it's not serving you as the end user, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So there's a couple of things that I wanted to ask you, and, and this has probably just come from, from my private thoughts and experience with, with brokers, that... The, the first thing that I, I think is important from a mortgage broker is their volume, right? Because the, the banks have what they call business development managers that just work with mortgage brokers, right? So 
the the volume that you're putting through particular banks at different stages it's it's going to get surely it's going to get you a red car uh, a red carpet service right like if you've put 20 deals through a particular bank and you're calling up for your 21st you're going to get a little bit better service than someone that they haven't heard of right definitely and and that's predominantly so with the major banks you'll find that with the major banks they so the major banks have a I guess, a tiered system um, for their BDM. So if you're not providing much volume, you get no support. Yep. If you're providing a little bit, you might get what we call a desk-based BDM. So BDM is just desk-based in head office somewhere and just you know does emails and, and phone calls all day. And then you get the BDM, which we call them on the road, and they're more of a senior BDM that can make more things happen. So the more volume, the further up, up the list you, you go. So... So if, you, if you're going to a broker and the best option for you is, say, major bank A, um, but that broker is doing no volume in that bank and he's got no support and it's not a straightforward application, well, nothing seems to be straightforward these days yeah. with all the, the changes going on in the industry, um, yeah, it, it can be a challenge because it all comes back to you really only, as a client, as a customer, only want to apply once. Right. You don't want to go and apply, be declined, impact your credit rating, then start getting shopped around town. Because every time you apply, your credit score starts to come down. You know, you start to look bad to the next bank. And next minute, you know, you've had three or four declines and you're off to a second tier non-conforming lender. So it's critical that your mortgage broker has those strong, strong relationships with those BDMs so they can workshop your particular proposal to that lender to ensure that it will fit that lender and it will go through smoothly. And that's, and that's, that's how I operate because there's no point saying, yeah, mate, we'll, we'll put it in and see how we go. No, 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 no. Let's workshop it, go through it all, pull it all apart, make sure, you know, as close to hundred percent as you can, that this is a deal and this is going to fit this particular lender. That's some really interesting points there. I want to come back to the credit score one, but when we talk about that access to the BDM, it's not necessarily about getting uh, a cheaper rate. It's just that if there's something about that application that they sort of think, oh, it doesn't really fit all the boxes, they would either say knock you back or if you've got a better relationship, they'll ring up and say, Nick, this one that you've just kind of sent through, can I ask about this? Like, oh, okay, well, if I can get some supporting documentation to back that up, we'll push it through to the next level. Is that exactly what we're talking about? Correct, exactly. So you might have a client who, uh, uh, you know, the majority of their income is commission. Now, uh, some lenders may accept 100% of that commission. Some lenders may only accept 80 or 50%. Mm. So the broker in their broker software can do their, what we call their research and pull up all the lenders and see, you know, which lender accepts how much commission um, and then fun, and then work it through in their serviceability. But if you've got that relationship with that BDM, you can go to them and work it, work workshop it with them directly. Hey, I've got this deal. They're getting this much commission. They got this much this year. They got this much last year. I know your policy says you can only accept fifty percent. Is there any chance we can, you know, go up to eighty percent because they've got a strong case? The BDM will say, yeah, you know what, that actually makes sense. Let me go and talk to the head of credit. Yep. You know, or let me go and talk to, you know, a senior team leader. Um, it's about having that that broker, having that relationship. Now, we're not talking about doing anything under the table or, 
no, no, we're still working in within policy, but but a lot of banks' policy is a little bit grey, and that's intentional. Because yeah, if right. it's just black yeah. and black and white, it's over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who's going to get through? You know, it needs to be flexibility. And we, and so. we we talked a little bit about getting through. So a broker can you know put a proposal together, and uh, you know I guess uh, it could it could be pretty you know thrown together rather than backed up and 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 well worked. How does that affect your credit score if you are to be knocked back by a bank? Well, it, it, it takes points off your, your credit score, right? Every time you're applying, I just can't think off the top of my head the, the amount. Um, and so it, it can't be a good look because the major banks and some of the second tier lenders, they, they basically have a, an, an automated credit scoring system now, right? They don't actually stop like in the old days and pull the whole application apart. It's yeah. just like an auto decision. So if your credit score and these other metrics, and, and we'll never know what those actual metrics are, right? They're yeah. never going to tell us. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if your credit score is throwing you out, mate, you're getting inst- instant declines. And mm. that's not to digress into going on a whole other topic. That's the issue of not using a broker or a good quality broker. If you're just applying yourself online to some of these major banks online or some of these online lenders, you you don't know. Mm. You know, you, you don't know if your credit score is too low for and you're gonna get an instant decline. You don't know if that how much of their because you might be earning say two hundred thousand dollars a year, but the, that bank might say, no, you're really only earning a hundred thousand because they're discounting fifty percent of your income. Yeah, yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? These are all these little things, you know. And is, is there a way for consumers to, to see their credit score in a meaningful way that helps them to understand whether they're going to be a good candidate or not? Well, you can you can get free copies through Equifax. You yep. know, there's a few different di- few different lenders online. Um, you know, like if your credit score is like something, you know, two or three hundred or four hundred or something, you know, you're done a struggle. Not to say that there's not, you know, solutions out there for you, mm. um, but that's when you really need to work with with a lender. And and in this environment, with rates going up, some banks, you know, changing their living expenses model, I think now is the most important time to find a good quality broker. Mm. It really is. So let's drill down on good quality. Knowledge and experience, I think, is is a universal thing. The more experience and the more industry knowledge you have presumably the better outcome you're going to to be able to provide for your client can you give us an example of where knowledge and experience makes a difference for a a property investor that's say wanting to grow their portfolio the give for growth property investing podcast is presented by our business mcg quantity surveyors If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximise their claims and maximise their property education as well. Yeah, definitely. We've had clients who are looking at growing their portfolio and unfortunately, they've been with a broker who was referred by family or friend because they thought, you know, it was a good broker. But that broker was very new to industry. And that broker had a particular relationship with that bank's BDM. And they were basically predominantly writing most of their loans directly with that lender. Yep. But that 
particular lender wasn't really the best for an investor or an investor looking to grow a large portfolio. So that client unfortunately maxed out early. You know, they were looking to achieve more than 10 properties, but because this particular lender's policies were a little bit, you know, stricter, they weren't really geared for more investors. Um, their servicing calculator was a lot more, you know, challenging. Yep. Um, yep. So what the consequence of that was, then we basically had to refinance that client, you know, out of the out of that bank, which then you know incurs fees, and then yeah. there's the process of doing that. Um, so that's another thing, you know, you really want to when you're talking to the broker is to ask them who are the lenders that you're using. Well, one, who's on your panel? Who's yep. your panel of lenders? Who are you predominantly using? Why are you using that lender? And can you show me, say, in the last three months or six months, which lenders you have used? Because you don't want to go to a broker who's just writing everything through one bank. Yeah. Because that's really, that's really not a broker. If if that's a bro that's not a broker. A broker should be using, you know, you, you should have at least access to thirty or forty lenders, and um, constantly using different, you know, lenders because lenders constantly change, right? In terms of policy, in terms of pricing, so interest rates. You know, because sometimes lenders will be see. Because I come from the other side, right? I wasn't just always a broker. I used to work for banks and building societies. So I've been on the other side of the fence. I get how it works. You know, I've been in credit. Yeah. Um, I've been a BDM. I understand about funding. So you know, one bank might be completely funded up, so they got you know too much money, so they need to lend as much money out as they can, so then they'll you know reduce. Um, their interest rates and so forth. So yeah. how can that, what I'm trying to say is how can one broker just be using that one bank all the time, Yeah, you know, and that's, that's not good for you. And you'll see it. You'll see it with some of these large franchises, these mortgage broking franchises. You, I can tell you if it's that franchise, I can tell you if you go there, which bank you're going to be going with, mm. <laughs> you know. I found it very interesting to hear that um, one of the big famous franchises, which was kind of marketed as fiercely independent, was I think about 25% owned by one of the banks. So there's little <laughs> things like that, that I don't think people would realise. And surely that's where... You know, if you, you read the Freakonomics books, like that's where they're sort of talking about the world just lives on incentives. There has to be an incentive for that supposedly um, independent broking firm to go with that bank, right? I'm sure that sort of stuff happens. Of course it does. So whereas me and there's a lot of brokers like me, we're, we're independent. So the way we operate is, I guess you could call it, you bring your own brand. So we use what's called an aggregator in the industry. Yep. So that aggregator gives us access to a panel of lenders. They provide all the compliance um, for us as well, make sure we're doing everything right according to the code and, and check on us. Um, and they provide us with all the software. Um, and then we just create our own brand. So for me, it's Bestland. That's my business name. Yep. But then I'm not owned by anyone, right? I, I have an, an agreement with my um, aggregator. I pay a monthly fee. That's it. Yep. You know, you come to me. I'm not going to stick you through Major Bank A because Major Bank A is owned by my, you know, franchise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's a good question to ask if you're, if you're thinking about a, a franchise. When it comes to property investors there'll be a lot of people listening to this podcast i say a lot 
maybe just mum. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be a lot of people listening, let's hope, um, that are interested in, in, in growing what is an unusual portfolio. And an unusual po- portfolio statistically is two or three properties if you look at the ABS data. But let's say someone that's wanting to go into double digits, 10 or 20 or even 100 properties. To me, it all comes down to uh, a mortgage game. It's mortgage strategy. It's serviceability strategy. For, for, for the investors that are wanting to get those, those big meaty portfolios, what, what sort of a broker do they need to partner with them on that journey? They definitely want to, again, comes back to that broker who has the experience and not only the experience, I would be asking the broker, you know, what are your clients like? You know, are you yep. just dealing with first-time buyers? You know, do you deal with many investors? Yep. Or are you just dealing with mums and dads who own one property, maybe one investment property? So you really want to find that niche broker um, who has an understanding and knows how to gear the lending so that the client can continue to grow their property portfolio. And, uh, and just a simple little thing is like, I'll see clients who come to me and the broker or the bank has just crossed everything. Right. So all the properties are crossed and it's like, oh my goodness, they've just tangled you now in a web, yep. you know, like, um, so, cause you really want to just have that loan against that property. You know what I mean? And then you can pull the equity out of that property and set up a separate loan to that loan against that property. But then the, when you're pulling out the equity to raise the deposit plus the purchase cost, you then want to set up the new loan against the new property. Yep. So each time you do it. Now some now some clients actually don't like that. They're like, oh mate, now I've got three loans. I just want two. But I'm like, well, you don't really want two because then we've got to cross the securities. What happens one day, you know, knock on wood, you need a quick sale. You've got to then got to ask the bank permission when you sell that property that's been crossed because you've got to do a partial discharge. Right. You think, oh, I'm just going to go and sell my property. The bank might say, yeah, no worries, you can sell your property. Hey, but buddy, we use that for serviceability. Now we need to check if you qualify even for that existing loan that's going to remain. And by the way, you wanted to keep most of the sales proceeds. No, 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 no. That's not our policy. We're going to keep all of it and pay it off your existing loan. So I've seen that happen as well. That's a very interesting one because as as property investors, we're taught that, you know, cross-collateralizing loans is a bad idea, but it's kind of like, okay, well, yeah, all right, we'll try and avoid that, but why? And and how do we make sure that our broker's not doing that? And then what is the outcome? What is the risk in doing that? And you've shared some amazing insights to that to, today. I mean, if you're selling a property, the idea is that, you know, maybe outside of um, capital gains tax, you get to keep the money, but that cannot be the case. Or it can be a complete reassessment of the, of let's say there might've been five properties in that kind of loan bundle. And that, that impacts whether you can actually service the remainders, right? Even though you've already got the loan. Correct. And, and this infuriates people. They don't, they don't get it, you know, and every bank's policy, I have to stress is different on that. Yeah. So some type of real hardline approach and it's like, stop you brother, we're taking the cash and we're paying it off your existing loans. Yep. You know what I mean? So imagine, right. If that person had lost their job mm. and now they're, now their um, rental returns wasn't enough to service the existing portfolio once they sold that problem then what happens yeah. don't call me by the way yeah. don't call me if that happens <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> that's 0438 no 
Um, <laughs> all right, Nick. No. So a- apart from your advice not to call you if you get into that much trouble, I mean, avoid it in the beginning. Listen to this podcast, and you won't get into that uh, situation. But can you give us, can you give us, say, the top three tips? So if someone's thinking, I'm a, I'm a property investor. Um, I'm, I, you know, wanting to grow a, a big portfolio. What are your best tips? from a mortgage point of view of how to select the right broker? Yeah, okay. So one is the the education, um, sorry, their experience, who, who are their clients, you know, who are they dealing with? Uh, secondly, who, who are they a broker through? Are they with a big franchise if they are, you know, find out their history, which lenders are they using? Maybe even ask them for some specific details of recent clients they've helped yep. who have got a large portfolio. Um, also in choosing a broker, um, you can even ask him, you know, who do you have a strong relationship with yep. in the industry? You know, do you have a strong relationship with bank A or, or bank B? And okay, and if they do, well, why is it that you use them? Mm. You know, what is it because of pricing, because of interest rates, you know, and, and ask him, you know, who, who at the moment do you see that is lending a little bit more than other lenders? Because that's the name of the game at the moment. It's just trying to squeak out as much from from the lender as you can. Yeah. You know, with interest rates on the on the up. You know, I've seen some. You know, I've seen. I think I was telling you before we went online. I saw that client who was pre-approved in the early six hundreds, and three months later he's come back just before the pre-approval expired to action the pre-approval because he found the property, but because of interest rate rises, their living expenses model changed with that bank, his pre-approval went from 600 down to 185,000. Yeah, like massive. That's the difference As between a deal and nothing. Yeah, yeah. So that questions then, well, what's the point in getting pre-approved? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a whole nother show. <laughs> yeah. All right, what's your what's your last one? Your, your, your big top tip for finding a mortgage broker that's going to help you get to those double-digit portfolios? Here's an interesting one. Why don't you ask the broker if they've done it themselves? Yeah, right. How, how, I mean, the stats are telling us that the average person's only getting one property. Mortgage brokers are in the game. You would you would expect that, that that's probably going to be a little bit higher. But what, what's your experience of that? Do, do you know a lot of mo- uh, mortgage brokers that have multiple property portfolios? 100%. Most brokers I know, um, and I guess because I've been around for a long time, so the people I know who have been around for a long time too, um, now that might just be because of the property cycle too. You know, if you've been around for 20 plus years, we've been through a few booms, there's been plenty of opportunities to seize. Yeah, so definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, That's an interesting stat that I always wonder about that because I've I've seen many clients – now I've got clients in their 80s who are still buying investment properties. Mm, yeah, right. Know? Yeah, and at the end of the day, it's a it's a money game, right? So if you're a mortgage broker and you can't figure out that money game to grow your portfolio, that sort of begs the question what you're all about. Nick, thanks for joining me today. It's always a pleasure and, uh, and I enjoyed the insights today. I'm sure people will get a lot out of that. No, thank you. It was great. Great having me on. Cheers. <laughs>